I think there we are. Too too loud. All right. I think we're good. Hey, hey great, great to be here, here with you this morning. morning. Um, it, it feels, feels like, like I haven't been here in a long time, probably because I haven't been here in a long time. Um, and uh, you all know that I'm um, serving in a bunch of different places. And so Sunday mornings I'm preaching out. Uh, different times, I'll be here at least once a month, but sometimes more, um, as as the Lord opens doors. Um, it's it's an interesting season, you know, shifting to different outreach events. And uh, I'll be with the Latinos in Smithfield this afternoon, and uh, welcome your prayers for that. We've got a group um, out there at Bennett's Creek Nursery who are on the H2A program, uh, so they're in country nine months and then out. And and what we what we need to realize if we haven't already in this country is that people from around the globe want to come to the United States of America and some of them want to come permanently and some of them come temporarily but um, we used to send missionaries out to the far ends of the earth and we still do and we still should but they're coming to us they're coming to us and I've met numerous Latinos who admittedly say I, I came to the United States for money but I found Jesus found Jesus I'm sorry Jesucristo right they found Jesucristo in, in the United States right um, Jesus speaks Spanish you guys know that right um, and uh, so anyway we, we, if you if you have an encounter with somebody from a different country here in Williamsburg or anywhere take time take time to meet them and welcome them and it just might be a God moment um, my, uh, my brother-in-law works at Penn State in, in campus ministry, and they've got hundreds and hundreds of Chinese students in the Penn State engineering programs, and many have been sent back as missionaries to China. So we're talking about outreach this morning. Surprise, right? Search and rescue, in fact. So we're going to be in, in Luke's gospel, um, 19th chapter, verses 1 through 10. So let's stand together for the reading of the word. Luke records it this way. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much that you don't leave us in the dark, but you give us revelation from the scriptures. 
So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You're our rock. You're our redeemer. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So search and rescue. Search and rescue. I want to start with the very, very, very important principle that we can see clearly from this passage about reaching out. And that is the principle that you can invite yourself to somebody's house. This is a great method of evangelism, right? I'm coming to your house today. It'd be great if you had treats. <laughs> Notice how Jesus didn't really give him an option. He said, must. So if you're going to invite yourself to somebody's house, use that word. I must come to your house today. Kidding, of course. He's Jesus. Right? And everybody wanted him to come to their house. Um, in, in the Jewish culture, sharing a meal was an invitation to friendship. And so by, by Jesus calling up to Zacchaeus, saying, I'm coming to your house, it would be expected that there's food. Right? I mean, that's just part of the Jewish hospitality. It's an invitation to friendship. Jesus is saying, I want to be friends with you, Zacchaeus. And the people didn't like it, did they? Because they thought he should choose better. So, so this is a big part of outreach, church. Are you looking for new friends? Are you looking for new friends? I didn't ask you if you're friendly. So are you looking for new friends? There's a huge difference because a lot of us already have our social circles kind of set and we've got busy schedules. Don't really have time for a new friend. Not going to do it. And so we put up little barriers. It's really nice. We're going to be kind, but there's not really an open door. We've got to change that. We've got to change that. If we're going to truly follow Jesus, um, friendship, hospitality, welcome, it's the start of sharing your faith. When we think about evangelism, we're often thinking about public proclamation, right? You're saying something to somebody. But we know that the majority of communication happens non-verbally, right? If you want to hear about Jesus, <laughs> it's not going to fly, right? Is there eye contact? Do you care? Is the love of God in your heart? Do you love these people you're talking to? One of the worst things I've seen in evangelism is people who are intent on completing the Great Commission, but they've ditched the greatest commandment to love God and love one another right and so in that case people become projects and witnessing is reduced to technique not going to be fruitful it's not because they hear the clanging gong right if you have not love you're, you're like a clanging gong so I love this passage for so many reasons um, it, it speaks to me uh, Zacchaeus had an obstacle everybody wanted to see Jesus even the ones that were against him wanted to see him because they wanted to catch him saying something wrong so they could accuse him but everybody wanted to see Jesus because the blind were seeing the lame were walking some said the dead were raised there was an excitement and there were such crowds that Zacchaeus had to climb a tree he had an obstacle and he overcame it Kudos to Zacchaeus, right? I mean, he went for it. 
And, and for a, a, a man to climb a tree, it, it's not very dignified, right? Zacchaeus, I think, had long since given up being dignified. He's hated. He's the chief tax collector. He's a Jew taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans so they can continue their oppression of the Jews. You're a traitor to our people. We hate you. Many wanted him dead. He's the most unpopular guy in the whole area. And, and Jesus says, got to go to your house. Got to go to your house. So Zacchaeus had that obstacle. He overcame it. I want us to think, what, what are, are the obstacles, obstacles out there for other people that we can help them overcome? Some people don't have, don't don't have transportation. Are you available? Hey, I'll pick you up. I'll bring you to that small group. I'll pick you up. I'll bring you to Sunday morning. You've got some obstacles. Um, some people physically, they need help getting places. And that, that, that's, that takes an effort and stuff. But it's an act of great love. I've heard recently that people who are, are deaf are one of the least unreached people in the world. So those who speak American Sign Language, um, and I was talking to, is it Abby evening? Talking to her yesterday. Um, What's the obstacle out there for somebody? Um, maybe the obstacle is they've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by Christians. And you know that in their life. You know what happened. And you didn't do it, but you can still go to them and say, can we get together? I'm so sorry this happened to you. It, it's, a, it's a betrayal of the teachings of Jesus. Their obstacle is they're wounded and unless that wound is healed, they're not coming back in. They're going to keep the whole body of Christ at arm's length and maybe even God. Because so often that, that hurt from Christians gets shifted to God because God allowed it. And God, I think, weeps too when, when his people harm other people. It should never be. But look for the obstacles out there, not just yours, but what are the others and how can I help them to overcome? If you can help somebody climb a tree so that they can see Jesus, do it, right? Whatever it takes, we want to do that. Something here also with Jesus that, that makes me love him more is that Jesus could care less about his reputation. Do you notice that? Too many of us get caught in the trap of am I with the right people? Am I wearing the right clothes? Am I doing this? And we're, we're concerned about our reputation. We're concerned about what others think. And I think it's a human condition. We all have it to some degree. I, I caught myself even this last week and I told my small group, I, I, I got pulled into this people pleasing. I thought I've addressed that a lot in my life, but I was really kind of trying to impress this person and it was pathetic. And, and so we all get pulled into it a little bit. But Jesus didn't care about his reputation. He was willing to be seen with that most hated guy in the town. Jericho had probably a lot of guys that you didn't want to hang out with. But Zacchaeus was at the top of the list. The chief tax collector. And they muttered. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. What they didn't realize is that whoever would have taken him in that day, he would have been the guest 
of a sinner, right? <laughs> yeah, but they sin more. Stop, right? We're, we're in the same boat, right? And, and so Jesus is willing to be with Zacchaeus. Search your heart. Are there some people that you're kind of unwilling to be around? When a homeless person approaches you in public, you feel awkward, don't you? In Virginia Beach, we have quite a few, and, and they're at the stoplights and that sort of thing. And I'm always trying to figure out how to how to navigate that. And um, used to have homeless bags and different things. But are there some people that you you're unwilling to be around? And if that's true of you, address it. Bring it before the Lord. Say, Lord, help me to overcome this because people need your love. People need your time. People need your ear. A lot of people just need somebody to listen to them. There's a lot of lonely people out there and, and giving them the gift of time and listening, that can build a bridge. It can build a huge, huge bridge. And in Jesus's presence, Zacchaeus has changed. There's got to be more to this story. There's always more to this story. They can't record everything. But something happens with Zacchaeus. Just in the presence of Jesus, he declares, half my possessions I give to the poor. That's a good start. Good grief, right? Something's going on with Zacchaeus. And then he says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And if you heard Zacchaeus saying that, you're like, I hope he cheated me. <laughs> I hope you stole a lot from me, Zacchaeus. Um, the law required that if you stole from somebody, you pay back 120%, right? You pay them back the amount you stole plus 20% extra. Zacchaeus goes to 400%, right? Amazing, something's happening on the inside. And he's changed in his presence. Would that people would be changed in our presence. None of us are Jesus. We're not going to be quite like that. But wouldn't it be awesome if Christ-likeness became the norm? And because of the way we, we lived, loved, and served, people are just drawn to that. They see our joy. They see our peace. They see our love. And they're, they're in. They want to be closer, right? You guys have met people like that, that they're just... They're, they're, they kind of emanate love, the love of God in Christ. Um, and so God change us, change us that we're like that, that we are a contagious people, that people want to be like us. The opposite of what the world says, right? The world says, oh, those Christians are hypocrites and they're judgmental. God, let them see loving, welcoming, accepting people just have found the greatest thing, the greatest one, Christ. And let them be changed in our presence as we love them, as we serve them. And then Jesus declares, salvation. Salvation has come to this house. And I'm thinking, should we pray first, Jesus? Shouldn't Zacchaeus do something? Like, should he get down on his knees or anything? Jesus is good at this. He knows what he's doing, right? Um, salvation has come to this house. This, this, this is the son of Abraham. That's you're, you're in. If you're, if you're a son, son of Abraham, you believed God, God like, like Abraham, Abraham, and God credited to him as righteousness. He's a righteous man. He's the chief tax collector. 
Shouldn't he have to renounce that first? Not according to Jesus. I would love to know how that played out. Because it had to mean transformation, but we didn't get that part of the story. Jesus declares salvation. He's credible. Amen? He gets to say it. We don't get the vote in it, and that's the way it should be. And then he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here's Jesus' mission statement. He has more than one, but this is one. Search and rescue. He came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus is lost. He doesn't have a navigational system apart from money. Money is true north. Right? That's not going to work for you. It's not going to work for anybody. And so Jesus is, is declaring this is what he's up to on planet Earth. And the church exists to continue the mission of Jesus. Right? That's why sometimes when, we, when we're working on mission statements and vision statements in the church, sometimes I, I, I guess I had a bad experience once where it went like five hours and I'm, I'm still recovering. But um, years and years ago. But um, I always just think it's already written, right? The mission statements are already written. The greatest commandment is always going to be the greatest commandment, right? We don't get to vote and say, do you, you want to shift that to number two for a little time? No, he's Lord. And so those are done. The church exists to carry out the mission of Jesus. So your mission and your mission and my mission is to seek and to save the lost. We can't do the saving, right? But we can we can seek and we can point them to Jesus gently with our words, with our actions, with our lives. And so that is our, our great, great privilege and it's our calling. I want to tell you a story um, that, that a lot of you probably don't know. I found it quite fascinating when I learned about it. Um, it, it deals with shipwrecks. And so the presenting problem 100, 200 years ago on the Atlantic coast here was shipwrecks. They didn't have Doppler radar. And they say over 700 shipwrecks have occurred off the coast of Nantucket, located between the major ports of Boston and New York City. Nantucket saw as many as 250 vessels pass by every day in the late 19th century. That's a lot of ships going back and forth. And they're all thinking, the weather's clear, I think. <laughs> so far, so good. Um, and, and before radar and that sort of, it was risky. These storms could come up out of nowhere and, and drive your ship onto the rocks, onto the sand. And so there were many cases up there where people could see from the shore the ship on the rocks and the waves battering it and the people desperately trying to escape and trying to swim to shore and not making it. There's many just horrible accounts of people watching from the beach and, and these people are, are drowned in the surf. There's stories of them climbing up the rigging, trying to stay alive and freezing to death on top of the rigging. It was horrible. And so the people gathered and, and said, we've got to do something. It was 1785 or 1786 when the Humane Society of Massachusetts was formed. Not little dogs and cats. The Humane Society, 1785-1786, was formed to find a way to revive people who had drowned. They didn't have all these modern CPR techniques. That was the original purpose. 
And then they started to go beyond that and they built small huts along the coast for shipwreck survivors. These housed supplies, sometimes even firewood and, and a flint and, and steel to, to, to light the fire. Um, and then later volunteers manned these little huts of refuge, they called them, to scan the horizon for ships in danger. By 1841, the Humane Society had 81 huts and stations and 18 boats. They went on to not just little safe huts so the shipwreck survivors could come in, get warm under a blanket and stuff, but ships. They started to say, hey, let's go, let's go to the rescue. Um, these people would go out in these boats risking their lives because if a boat went down, the weather wasn't good and the waves were probably big. But they'd go out and risk their lives for strangers because they're drowning and they're going to perish. I'll put my life on the line with the hopes that I'll rescue and I'll save. And some didn't, didn't make it. And so there was a, a series of events where Congress stepped in because there were a lot of shipwrecks. And foggy night, November of 1877, the USS Huron ran aground off Nags Head, North Carolina, just two miles from an empty life-saving station. Budget constraints had kept that life-saving station closed. 98 men died in that shipwreck. You all know that, that Nags Head and, and that coast of North Carolina also saw a tremendous amount of shipwrecks. Two months later, the steamship Metropolis ran aground 100 yards off Currituck Beach, which is down that area as well. It carried railroad workers to Brazil. 85 of them died in the wreck. And Congress formed officially the U.S. Life-Saving Service. So Congress decided we're going to put some money to this, and we're going to set up these posts to try to rescue people. These two tragedies finally got them going. And so the Humane Society and the U.S. Life-Saving Service worked at the same time, and sometimes there was cooperation between the two. They had a motto, and their motto was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Could you think of a better recruiting slogan? <laughs> <laughs> These people were all in. They were all in. The Humane Society, they're volunteers risking their lives for strangers. The U.S. Life Saving Service, they started getting stipends and different, different um, helps. But they go out risking their lives for strangers because people were perishing. People needed to be rescued. They, um, they continued on and they say by 1915, the rescuers of the U.S. Life Saving Service had saved more than 186,000 lives, becoming collectively the greatest institution of their kind in the world. It really took on some, some life. But there was these, these times in between where whose responsibility is it? There was some tension between the, the Humane Society and the U.S. Life Saving Service. Of course, if you're doing it for free and these guys are getting paid, there's, there's going to be an issue. Am I right? <laughs> Um, but, but they kept getting more creative on rescuing people. They came up with this, this thing where in Virginia Beach, they still do demonstrations of this. It's called the breaches buoy. And what it is, it's a cannon that fires into the rigging of these tall ships. 
And so then it forms this, this little conveyor belt, if you will, and they'll send somebody out and they'll pull them back in. And so sometimes, you know, the, the masts of the ship are the only thing about water and the people are clinging to that back and forth, back and forth. Um, but the cannon firing into the very creative, right? They got creative in rescuing people. Are you with me? Do you see where I'm going to go with this? Maybe? Possibly? Um, and so, as the U.S. Life Saving Service grew with funds from Congress, kept getting bigger and bigger, uh, the Humane Society got smaller and smaller, and a lot of the attitude became, let the professionals do it. They get paid. <laughs> they have better equipment. You know, they have better training. They have better, let the professionals do it. And certainly historians say there was a time where some lives were lost because nobody's on duty anymore. U.S. Life Saving Service couldn't do all of it. And that motto carried the day, let the professionals do it. So, does this ever happen in church world? And you all know, you all know, and, and I don't think this congregation is, is split into that, but it can creep in slowly. Or let the professionals do an attitude. Right? Well, I'm just, you know, I, I do, I'm on electrical, I'm on electrical. Do you love Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you belong to him? Be a plumber for Jesus. Be an engineer for Jesus. Be a pilot for Jesus. Whatever you do, do it for Jesus, amen? He has rescued us, so we have to go out. We don't have to come back. I'm not asking you to put your life on the line, literally. But in some places of the world, that is the calling of Christians, to put their lives on the line. They go out not knowing if they come back. I have a friend who, who's a missionary in Indonesia, and he's had friends killed because they named the name of Jesus as Lord. And so we live in a, a culture where we fortunately don't, that's not our risk these days. But too often, we still don't go out. We don't go out. I don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to, you know, don't want to, don't want to go there. It might wreck the friendship or something like that. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's ways that you can do it. You don't have to be a professional. In fact, it seems Jesus preferred to use the non-professionals, right? Look at his disciples. He could have chosen 12 rabbis. He could have. Fascinating he didn't. He's like, let's, I don't want to do all that unlearning. Let's start fresh, right? Mercy, mercy. And, and so, church, we get to go out. We get to go out. You all know, some of you know my story where I was terrified of sharing my faith because all my friends mocked me. They were on me, um, calling me Moses, asking me if I had an 11th commandment for them. But now I'm looking for opportunities, right? And I feel like God's gifted me in such a way, just go in gently, right? I don't feel any pressure. I don't have to make anything happen. I'm sowing seeds, right? Just scattering them. And you get to do that. You can do that. It's a joy. We're in a new season and we're in and a part of a new church, the Global Methodist Church. And I want to report some good news, you all. 
There's a different culture. There's a different DNA. There's a permission-giving culture that is decentralized. And so what they're doing, amen, yeah, amen. What they're saying is the front lines of discipleship and the front lines of ministry are Daybreak Church. You're it. They say, we want Daybreak to start new churches. It's not going to be someplace in Richmond that says, we're going to do this. They're going to say, what are you doing? They want to help, but they're looking to us. The Global Methodist Church has provisions so that lay people can start churches. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be ordained. Are you called to share the gospel? Do you feel like you want to start gathering people? Well, how can we equip you and help you? And how can you work with your local church and pastor and staff and go do it? It's a permission-giving culture. Equip and send and let's go. We've been waiting for this. We've been longing for this kind of culture and it's here and now it's like, were we serious? <laughs> Pressure's on a little bit, right? Not really pressure. Um, I'm, I'm on a committee that, that has people from the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Philippines and around the world that involves evangelism, missions, and church planting. And it's exciting. It's exciting what's going on around the world. And, and they're looking to us too. How are you going to do it? Virginia's ramping up. So on October 21st, there'll be a large gathering of the Global Methodist Church up in Fredericksburg, and a number of us will be there. You're certainly invited. Uh, there'll be ordinations, 16, I understand, which is a lot. That's a lot. And so there's, there's a movement forward, which is incredibly exciting. Last week, Pastor Jonathan said, if we don't put inviting people into abundant life in Christ as the first thing, It'll end up being the last thing. You were listening, right? You heard that. Um, he's right. It, it, it just slides and slides and slides. And so we want to be this church where Jesus is Lord. We're loving God. And the evidence we love God is that we love people. And we love people with our words and we love them with our actions. And we're invitational and we're going to them. We're not waiting for them to come to us. Jesus says, come follow me. And I'll show you how to fish for people. He didn't say, um, for you elite disciples, Peter, James, and John, just you three, we're going to make you fishers of people. No, for all his followers, we're going to fish for people. It's actually a great, great joy. I heard something yesterday at the funeral that was very, very moving. Matthew was sharing about his brother Jacob. It was a profound moment. And he said, they had a deep conversation. And Jacob said to Matthew, I can't really help you. You're doing great. You're, you're above me. But there's some people who aren't doing as well as me. And I can help them. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. There are people struggling all around. You don't have to go and communicate the whole gospel to them, right? Do they need a cold drink? Jesus promises a reward if you give somebody a cup of cold water, right? I'm going to give lots. I'm going to give lots of rewards. Right? There's somebody you can help. And all of it's going to be tangible. It's not just going to be words. It's, it's they, need, they need help with their car. They've been going on that donut tire for two months and they don't have money to buy a new one. You've got money. 
Or maybe you and somebody else have money, or you and your small group can, can get that new tithe. Practical things that show the love of God. You can do that. I love that. It's not just verbal, it's in action. And if you're going to start sharing Christ with people, you're going to find they have physical needs. And if you're going to draw the line and say, well, I just want to share Jesus with you, but I, I can't help you with that, they're not going to believe your message. Doesn't mean you have to do everything, but, but be ready. And so Jesus, Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. We get to be a part of it. I want to say um, with, with sharing Christ, Keep asking that the love of God fills your heart. Keep asking. As I was sharing Christ with people, sometimes I'm praying quietly, Lord, show me your love for this person. Give me your love for this person. And you can't fake that. And they sense that you care about them deeply. And then they'll listen. Invite them to tell you their story. People have stories and they have fascinating stories. Don't just invite them to church. Invite them to coffee. Invite them for a smoothie. Invite them to breakfast. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to your home. And friendship happens there. We don't take time in this culture to listen to people's stories enough. And, and if you listen to their story, often you'll see the key to unlock their heart. Because you'll see the wounds. You'll hear the, the heartbreak. You'll hear their, their low self-esteem. And you can build them up. And you can love them right where they are. But if you don't know their story, you won't get there. And so one of the things you all know I'm passionate about is getting people into small groups. And, and I, I know this is a part of what we want to do here is increase the number of small groups. Little redemptive circles where people can come in, be themselves, not put on an act, and hear about Christ from, from the circle around them. You open the scriptures, but you share your lives together. We need to have places where people can come in and say, I don't believe in Jesus. I mean, I think he's a good teacher, but I don't believe him like you are, but I'm just curious. And in those situations, we've got to have that, that, that group where they says, that's all right. We're just glad you're here. And then they hear. They hear your story. They hear your neighbor's story. And bit by bit, they open up and start to think, all right, maybe he's more than a good teacher. East Stanley Jones in India would gather Sikhs and Muslims and Hindus and atheists and all kinds of things. And he did the round table. And the rule was, you can't preach to us about your religion. You can share one of your scriptures from the Vedas or the Quran or the Bible or whatever. Just don't preach to us. Tell us your experience. And in that setting over decades and decades of ministry in India, what he found is that Jesus Christ outshines everybody. And he didn't do it with a triumphalism as like, see, I told you so. None of that. It's just, he's, he's good. He loves you to the point of dying for you and rising. Yeah, yeah, rising. He defeated death. That looks good on a resume, doesn't it? Risen from the dead. You're hired. You are hired, right? So, so we've got to be these people that welcome. Um, Eric's got this bowling thing lined up and it's going to be great um, and, and we're going to do more and more things like that where it's just an event where you can bring your neighbor who has no church background or hasn't been to church in years just come hang with the guys 
And, and we're the kind of people where we're going to laugh and make jokes and burp and scratch our bellies like guys do. That's what we do. But in the middle of that, all right, that's what I do. I can't do that. Did I let our secret out, guys? I'm sorry. Um, but, but in the middle of that, Jesus will come up because it's who we are. And so we're going to do more of those things. Megan's organizing these little hop-up outreaches for children. That's incredible. I'm the outreach pastor, and I'm looking at them. I'm like, he should be the outreach pastor, and Megan should be, right? It's already happening here. What I am doing is gathering the little team on Tuesday nights. And if you're interested in being on the outreach team or hearing more about it, reach out to me. That's outreach, right? Reach out to me, and we'll talk. Um, and, and last week, we did a prayer walk. A week before, we were kind of just visioning. And, um, but we're going to do some events that are training events for the whole congregation to equip you to better share your faith. But we're going to try to just change the whole culture so we're out there sharing all the time. God's doing a great thing in this congregation. He's doing a great thing worldwide. He's invested everything. The Son and He's pulling out His Spirit. And so we get to. We get to be fishers of people. Amen? Amen. 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 And let the worship team come on up. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you have come to seek and to save the lost. And we pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be faithful followers of you. That we would love people where they are. That the people that kind of we've kept at arm's length, Lord, we we would be open to, to a relationship with. Jesus, that we get out of our normal comfort zone, that you not just out, so that we are truly doing outreach in your name, Jesus. Draw people. Draw people to you. Draw people into community with us. We pray in your name, Jesus, and for your Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's stand and worship.